So a few years ago, my parents came to visit us at our home in Virginia Beach. And one evening after we had finished eating, uh, my wife and I were putting away dishes in the kitchen when all of a sudden we heard a loud crash come from my daughter's room. And so at the time, my daughter's bedroom was serving as a guest bedroom. And so we knew instantly it was something going on with my parents. And so I kind of slowly walked through the hallway and I got to my daughter's bedroom door. And all I could hear uh, was like faint whispers. And I could hear like, please don't say anything. Don't say anything. I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything is all right. Everything is all right. And the whispers were that of my dad. And so I walk into the room and I can see my mom kneel down near the closet, but I don't see my dad. And so I walk over to the closet and then I find him laid on his back uh, prostrate. And so I instantly could figure out that she was trying to help pick him up off the floor. And so I kneeled down and I kind of picked him up. And then I, after I got him up, I slowly walked him over to the bed and sat him on the bed. And so as soon as he sat on the bed, instantly I noticed a stream of blood flowing from the back of his head. And so I called to my wife who was in residency at the time, like, hey, Chantel, we need some help. We need some help. And so she walks in and then she kind of starts freaking out because of the amount of blood that was um, on his shirt. And so I'm like, hey, can you get something to stop it? And so first she goes to the bathroom and she gets a few squares of toilet tissue. But we soon realize that that's definitely not going to be enough. And so then she goes and grabs a roll of paper towels and we see that that's not going to be enough. And then finally, she just grabs a towel. And so my dad this whole time is like, I'm okay. It's not a big deal. I'm all right. I'm all right. And we're like, nah, this, this is a big deal. You, um, you probably need to go to the hospital. And so 30 minutes later, I, along with my mom and dad, we find ourselves sitting in an emergency room lobby waiting for my dad to be triaged. And about an hour after that, um, I kind of just sat there in a room as I watched my dad laying helplessly on his side as a doctor was stapling his wound shut. As I sat there in the hospital room watching my dad getting his wound treated, I was really bothered. The thing was, my wife had been warning me for quite some time that something like this was going to happen. Not that she could have predicted that he was going to have the fall like he did, because that was more of a freak accident. But she had been telling me that I needed to pay more attention to my dad's health, and I kept ignoring her. Part of it was just me being willfully ignorant. Another part was just me being self-centered. But whatever the reason was, I hadn't really given it much thought, and now I couldn't ignore it. The fact was... My dad had multiple sclerosis. In truth, I really didn't know much about MS. I knew that he really didn't do well with extreme temperatures, particularly when it was hot. But I always thought that was just an excuse for him to control the thermostat. I also knew that his mobility was limited now, but I figured that was more of a result of old age. But I think the worst part of everything was, besides my lack of knowledge, I never really asked him about it. And it's not like he had just been diagnosed. In fact, prior to him falling, he had been dealing with MS for over 15 years. And the fact was, I never really asked him how he felt about it or what that journey was like with him going through that. 
And even worse, even after he failed, we really didn't have a conversation about that incident. So I decided I needed to stop waiting and we needed to really talk about everything associated with that. So here we are, episode one of Show Me Your Scars, and I'm going to be your host for this podcast. My name is Eric Stiles, and throughout this podcast, you're going to hear a ton of different conversations. The first one today is going to be with my dad, us talking about everything, talking about his childhood growing up, talking about him dealing with MS and how that affected his faith and him as a man. But throughout this podcast, you're going to hear me having multiple conversations with people And the root of the conversations is us getting behind the mask and us looking beyond all the filters and showing those things that people really don't want others to see, the scars. Um, I've been a a, a lover of podcasts for quite some time. And the thing that I love most about podcasts is just the storytelling. I am a true believer in the power of narrative. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. Uh, A couple of quick notes. I am new to this podcast game. um, And so... I'm still kind of working through some of the kinks, and so I'm going to apologize in advance for the audio, uh, but I promise you, if you give it a chance, it will definitely get better. And so I hope you enjoy this first episode. Growing up, I always remember my dad telling me tales about his childhood. He would often talk about being the fastest in the school, but because he didn't want to practice, he never went out for the track team. There were times when my maternal grandfather would boast about swimming with sharks in the Bahamas. My dad would always retort, yeah, well, I remember doing that with my eyes closed. It wasn't until recently that I realized that beyond these tales, we never really spoke about his childhood. My dad is the youngest of three and has two older sisters, Mary and Patty, who he references in our conversation. In the late 1950s, when my dad was three years old, his father passed away. And what I realized from our conversation is that his memory of his father is very limited, which is to be expected. However, one major source of pride for him was who his father was. My grandfather was a physician in times when few African Americans were. As a matter of fact, while he was a practicing doctor, only 2% of physicians were black. And so I figured that would be the perfect start to our conversation. So do you you have any, any memories of your dad? Oh, yes, I do. Oh. Yes, I do. And I, uh, uh, all I remember is that he was, he, he was a, a big man. Uh, you know, he's very funny. And then at the time, you know, he was, you know, they, they were strict. You know, at that time, you know, as a child, you couldn't, you couldn't talk back and get away with anything. If they tell you to do something, that was it. Oh, okay. So was he like the disciplinarian? Do you even remember that, or you know? No, he 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 wasn't he wasn't like that. Okay. He was an okay, man. In terms of he wasn't mean to anything like that. You know what I mean? And so I knew a lot of people knew him, but remember, being my age, I really didn't understand that kind of life. All I knew is you know what I had. I didn't know. What, it, what being a doctor's son was. I didn't know anything about that. I just knew that's what he was. That's what they said. You know, I was young, and, you know, 
know, and that's all I knew. I didn't really understand what it implied and, and, and the social ramifications and and how people looked at you. I didn't know all of that. All I knew was that's what he was. And so, hey, that was it. <laughs> gotcha. And what about, so when did your stepfather come into your life? Like, how old were you? Okay, he came into my life, and I was about, uh, 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 I was about, I remember being about second, second grade, something like that, second oh. grade. And what do you remember about him when he first, when you first met him, or when he first got there? I didn't think anything, you know what I mean? Because mom brought him home and said, this is going to be your dad. And like I said, at that time, you didn't ask any questions. All I could do was go by what Mary and Daddy said, and they didn't say anything about it at the time, you know? Um, it was other issues with, with Dad, the doctor, that I didn't find out about until I was a lot older. Oh, okay. So, Anything you care to share? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and Mary and Patty's like, well, he, you know, he was popular and he was rich. And, you know, women were after him because, you know, in the black community, that's the highest thing you could be was a doctor. Beyond who his father was, a major part of my dad's identity is his faith. My father served as a minister for over 25 years and worked full-time in a church for 20 years as an assistant pastor. And so I was curious as to the role that religion and faith played in his upbringing. As a kid, like what role, if any, did like church or religion play in your upbringing? None. <laughs> because at the time, you know, they could talk, we didn't go to church. Okay. <laughs> Like it was never a church once in a while. There was a church of the, the Episcopalian church, and yeah, you go once in a while. But that was nothing. It wasn't important. It wasn't important to me. I didn't know anything about that. You know, it's like I know church was a place you were supposed to go, but I didn't know anything about it. Church was not uh, an important part of growing up. Not for me, it wasn't. Okay, and do you do you remember any? Thing, like your first experience at a church period? Yeah, I do. Because um, the reason we went to church is because that's what you were supposed to do as that that bourgeoisie family. You know what I mean? Middle class black family. And the reason we went to church is that uh, some of my mother's friends had their sons there and they were what you call an Episcopalian church's acolyte which means you carry different stuff up and down the aisle. And I think she thought, oh, boy, that looks good. And so she wanted me to do it. But I didn't want to do it, and I had no desire to do it. <laughs> so you never you No, know, you had to do what you were told, you know. <laughs> so did you end up doing it or no? No, I wound up doing it, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you like it at all? or? I hated it, you know what I mean? But, you know, they used to wear these different kind of robes, and you pick up a thing and march down, not march down, but walk down the aisle and take it. You they used to call them acolytes. Okay. And how long did you? Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like it at all. And the minute I didn't have to go to church anymore, I quit going. 
<laughs> do you remember? So do you remember the age you were like, I'm through with this. I don't, I don't feel like dealing with this anymore. I think that I was about, uh, fourth, uh, about fourth or fifth grade. And then we, we quit going. We didn't have to go. Okay. And so after that, eventually, of course, things changed. So after you stopped going in like fourth or fifth grade, when did when did you go back again? I guess. And I, it, I didn't start going to church back again until I met your mom, and that was back in nineteen seventy two. Okay, so how how old were you at this time when you went started going back? Okay, you know what? When I started going back, uh, I was. Uh, now, you know, even with your mom, uh, you know, I didn't go a whole lot, but I would at least go some of the time. And I was about, uh, let's say, about, how old was I when I started doing that? Uh, about 19, 20, somewhere up in there. And I wouldn't go all the time. I just go sometimes. I would at least go a little bit, but not much. Did she invite you or you just wanted to try it out? You were curious. Oh, no, she she invited me. And you know how women are. Oh, you're supposed to be in church, and yada, da, da, da. And so I went like that, and then uh, right before 1979, 1980, uh, I got interested in some of the music, you know? Okay. That's when, really when I started getting involved in it, because I was interested and some of the music, and then some of the people that she knew uh, used me to play, even though I wasn't Christian. But, you know, hey, you know, some of the gospel people, you know, gospel people, she had some cousins and stuff that had gospel choirs and stuff. Uh-huh. And they would use me to play, and they liked the fact that I could play. Because, you know, at that time, a saxophone in, in any kind of a church, that was very unusual. Okay, so you were going, at first you were going, and eventually they found out that you could play an instrument. Right. And so they actually right. joined the band, essentially. Right, right. I kind of joined joined like that, and so fine. And, you know, they, they kind of like that, because, like, you know, like I said, at that time, having an anybody playing any kind of instrument was not really too common in the black church, unless you were organ player. You could be organ player drummer. That was common. But to have a saxophone or a trumpet player, that was not too common. Not, not, and, and if they were there, they didn't play well. So the first time you met, went to church with mom, what did you think of her, their church? I thought it was crazy and emotional. <laughs> crazy and emotional. Why do you say that? Well, you know, they did. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and the River Mom's Church, that preacher called the prophecy was Pentecostal. Right. And I had come out of uh, uh, the Episcopalian. Right, right, right. And the Episcopalian is very sophisticated. And Mom's Church, you know, people get up, Hallelujah! You know, like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and, and, you know, they'd be screaming and, I like that, and people be getting emotional, and I had I had never experienced that. I had never ever heard that, you know. Especially the Episcopalian Church, they didn't do that. Everything was very, you know, very. Uh, you you came, you sat down, you got up, you know. Nobody made you noise. You never said hi to you. 
you know, like nothing, nothing like that. You know, if you say hallelujah, it was the priest said, let the congregation say hallelujah, like that. It, it was very sophisticated kind of a thing, laid back, you know, but all the screaming and stuff, I didn't see that until I got with mom. Okay, and so even though you thought it was emotional and I guess a little strange, you still continued going. Why do you think that was? Uh, I, I, I started keeping uh, going. What happened was uh, right before you, right after you were born, right after you were born, I accepted the Lord, and that's why I started going. Okay. I started going right after that, and then right right after you were born, I accepted Jesus Christ, and so then I started going there, and I got serious, but other than that, I would go just to hear some of the music, but other than that, I really didn't care anything about it, but, but I remember that uh, back, in the, uh, back in 1980, I was going just because she was going, you know, a little bit, but that was it. Shortly after he gets saved, my dad recalls laying in the bed one night and a strange feeling coming upon him. And so you get saved and eventually you feel a call to ministry. Right. So tell me about that. Uh, okay, so you were born... And I get saved, and then I was just, you know, just doing, you know, not, not doing anything like that. But I'm not going to lie to you that it sounds very strange. But one night, I could feel the call of God on my life. And I say, man, you know, what? what is this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was one night, and I was in bed, and I felt like God called me literally where I was. Literally where I was, and I was sleeping. I remember I wasn't sleeping that well, and I remember kind of getting woken up and like, okay, this is your time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what is this, you know? So everything is going well. My dad gets firmly planted in his faith and begins teaching Sunday school, playing in the church band, starts to minister, and eventually he even begins working full time at the church. Everything is going well until one day when I was off to college, something changed. Remember when you were diagnosed with MS? Okay, let me give you the date and the time. I'm glad mom ain't in here. October 4th, 1999, 11, 10, 15 a.m. So you remember that distinctly? It was on Monday. And well, I, so what led you to go to the doctor to get wh what was going on with you? Because I had been going, and then my my, my hands started getting a little numb, and I thought to myself, I said, "Well, that must just be carpal tunnel." And then I still figured it was just something simple like that. I noticed that when you get uh, before you get MS, you never think that that's what it's gonna be. Did you think that? It's just maybe you hurt yourself and then you hurt yourself in a way that maybe is worse than what you thought. 
and that kind of stuff, and that's all you think. You just figure it's going to be something, or maybe you need to take some vitamins or take a little medicine, and you'll be fine. It wasn't until I went to Dr. Stearns that she said to me, listen, you need to go take a test, take an MRI, and to see, and I didn't take anything of it. I just feel like, okay, that made sense, you know. You just wanted to get a diagnosis. She was diagnosed, you know. She she was good at that time, so I said, well, here, let's go. And uh, finally, I went to, uh, she started, well, you need to go see a neurologist. Just Let's just see what this is. And that's when I went to Dr. Singer. And uh, he told me, he says, uh, this is coming out of nowhere. You go to the doctor, if they talk to you in the room, then you, you probably, it's probably something. But when they call you in the office and say, listen now, you in for something. Yeah. I'm that out. So that's the, Dr. Singer called me in his office. And I didn't, I said, well, what, what is this? And that's what he told me. He said, listen, man, you, you got, you, you, you got multiple sclerosis. So as soon as you heard this diagnosis, what were you thinking? I couldn't believe it. I it, it was very it was a very difficult time in my life. You had just gone you had gone to school, right? We had just dropped you off, and uh, uh, October fourth, what nineteen ninety nine? Yeah, that's when I heard it, and I think I didn't see anything, but it it it, it was pretty. That was because you never think you're gonna get nothing like that. I never heard anybody that got MS and thought that that's what it was. You didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I just figured just having some stuff, but I, I didn't think it was going to be that. And so as soon as he said it, were you emotional in the office? Like what, what was your reaction when he said it in the office at that moment? I just sat there and just looked. I just looked at him. And that's all I could think of. I didn't say much of anything. I just said, it, it, it's kind of a diagnosis that just leaves you with your mouth open. Like, what was this? And uh, at the time, I was still functioning pretty good. In other words, my walking was fine. Everything was fine. Uh, and not, not that I wasn't some difficulty, but I said to myself, oh, Lord, Lord, what is this? How far is this going to go? And I didn't know anything, like I said, all I knew was that you ain't going to college. And then you you ain't going to college. And I know your first comment to me was when I told you, you came back, and we were living in living one in Scott Lake. And you said to me, wow. And then you say, is this hereditary? <laughs> and that, that was your comment to me, was this hereditary? And... Uh, Nobody had ever told me that it was hereditary, not necessarily, not really. One of the things that made me not feel so bad is I was still able to do everything I was doing, basically. Okay. I was still able to do that, and so that was one of the reasons that it didn't take me bad down bad bad, because I was still able to do everything. Okay, so you were still somewhat hopeful. Pardon? You were still somewhat hopeful. Right, I thought maybe just 
even though that's what it was, it was going to go away. It's not until you start studying MS that you realize that uh, this doesn't go away. Some people it did. Some people it did. Some people got it and then it went, went away. It's, you know, uh, uh, a few uh, years after they got it, it just went away. They didn't have it no more. It went away. So I was hoping I was one of those people. It didn't happen like that for me, though. And so, let me, well, let me ask this. So you, you work at a church. You were an assistant pastor. At that time, were you helping take care of the sick at that point? Yes, I was. And so did any part of you think that, well, you know, maybe if I just pray, this will go away and God will heal me? Like, what was your, what did you think in regards to that? Well, thank you. That's what I thought. I said, well, you'll pray and then God will, uh, you know, cover it and, and then it'll go away. But it didn't change. Despite having to give himself a shot every day and dealing with physical limitations, not much at all changed. He continued to work, preaching on a regular basis and visiting the sick in the hospital. And even his eventual use of a cane didn't really garner any extra sympathy from anyone, myself included. Well, did you kind of feel in a way that nobody really cared? Because that's what it kind of seems like. And no, I don't think that nobody cares. See, what you got to know is people don't want to look at the gravity of what you're dealing with. They just want to live as though, okay, he's all right. So therefore, I don't have to change anything. People like to live in a way that they don't have to change and they don't have to move anything. People like that. Because that's the way it always was. Because that's the way it always was been good. So let me ask you this. When you first got diagnosed, what were your prayers like? I, I never forget, I, I said, God, well, wait, what is this? I said, now, why are you going to let this go on? Because my prayer to God was like, but just, you got to stop this. You got to stop it. And like, what did I, did I do something? So with a lot of times I know when you get diagnosed, you, everything you pray about, everything I prayed about was always, did I do something? Like you somehow caused this. Yeah, did I do something really bad? <laughs> you know, and I must have did something to wind up like this. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, that that was the prayer. You know, we'll take this away. And you know what? I didn't even get all devil because you know everything was that Satan, that Satan, that Satan. Yes. Oh, but you know what? Even if it is the devil, then you have to ask yourself the next question. Why did God let him go that far? Because he could stop, he could stop him. Uh, you, you know, see, so you have to be careful that you get, uh, you, you get certain things, but why he allows certain things to come your way and why he takes certain things, I don't know that. You know, because I, I don't want people to pray for obstacles and hindrances in their life. I don't want that, but sometimes you get stuff to keep you on your knees and keep you moving and keep you praying and keep you believing God and keep you staying in the face of God.
how did having MS affect you or impact you when you were visiting people in the hospital? It affected me because uh, what it is is you understand illness more so than you just come in a room. I understand illness. I understand when doctors walk in the room and tell you something, especially the one that's not going to go away. And what it is, is you start, you, you hear people, you hear what they tell you, and you understand it's not just, you know, the, the, the something you could pray away. Sometimes you have to deal with things that just, you got to, that's what you got to deal with. This is your life. And that's what MF said to me, this is your life. Now, it, it wasn't bad, and it wasn't, uh, uh, my life has not been bad, but to hear something get thrown up in your face that you can't pray away and you can't make go away, that's hard. So if I were to look at your life, let's say prior to you getting MS and after you getting MS, what would I see that was different? And not necessarily like physical differences, but I guess maybe internally, what do you think is different about you having gone through this? Uh, you, you learned, you know what? Before you have MS, you just live it. You, you really do. And you figure like, hey, that's just the way everything is. After you have MS, what you have to real, what I realize is that you thank God for every day you can get up and move. You know, and even though you may not move the way you used to move, every day you can get up and move. Because uh, uh, it, it, it's like you start thanking God for the little things. And even though it, it's not the way you wanted it, you start thinking, God, my God, look at this. And look at the things that can happen to people, you know. And uh, even though it, it's been difficult and challenging, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't affected me in a way that's disabled me. But it, it, it has, uh, 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 you know, it, it is affecting the way I function, but it hasn't affected the way it has disabled me. It hasn't disabled me and stopped. It never stopped me from doing anything. That's how God bless me. When you let me ask you this, when you um, you mentioned that you're you were praying like, you know, why God, why am I having to deal with this? Do you feel like you ever got your prayers answered? Uh, you know what? I, 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 I'm going to tell you the truth. The, the, I didn't get my prayers answered per se, but what I did get was this. Uh, you remember in the Bible they talk about Jacob and that angel hit him and uh, he, he always walked with a limp after that? Right. Everybody, what you find out in life, everybody generally gets something. Well, not, I, I, I don't want to put that on you or anybody else. Everybody gets a limp, though. In other words, there's always something you're going to have to deal with and always something going to keep you in front of God's face, period. 
So you. So every 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 it's gonna be something that keeps you praying on your knees, and you find out you know that's just the way it goes. You know, it's always gonna be something. And normally, even when you don't have it, sometimes somebody in your family has it, so you have to deal with that. You know. Why? Why do you think that is? I think uh, I, I I don't I don't exactly know. All I know is that you find all throughout the Bible is always something that keeps people praying. Remember Paul and Paul talks about man. I got the thorn in my flesh and God wouldn't take it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? He wouldn't take it away from me. He he left it there. And you know, even with David, as much as David did some stuff now. But it was it was always something, and then you find out people like Solomon, who lived a perfectly good life, he had everything. He ain't had no wives, no wars, or nothing. He didn't have nobody after him. His dad had David. David. David was always into something. Somebody was always after him. That's where all those psalms come from. When Solomon lived that kind of life, what you start to see with Solomon is he got crazy. Mm. He got crazy. One of the things I think he got that way is because he didn't have nothing. He it was always just, hey, I, I live a carefree life. Ain't nothing going. Ain't gonna be nothing. I ain't have nothing. And uh, you know, he Solomon never did have the kind of challenges that his dad had. Mm. Okay. He never did. And but but see, that's just an opinion. Pentecostals will tell you uh, David had the right confession. Now I think it's a bunch of nonsense. I think that uh, he just never had it. And sometimes that'll happen with you. You know, certain things in your life you will get, and certain things you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> it's funny. Before I had this conversation with my dad, I really didn't know what to expect. There was so much uncertainty. Um, I was unsure of how he would react to having this conversation. I was unsure of how the dialogue would go between he and I. Um, I was even unsure of whether or not I should even try to attempt this podcast. But after talking to him, I feel uh, much better. Uh, And I think I feel better because I realized that my dad is he's resolved he he i might even say he's at peace with where he's at and that was always a fear of mine um in previous times when my parents would come and visit us my dad would always ask my wife who's a physician hey have they come up with any cures for ms at all have they discovered anything and i was always fearful that the ms would consume who he was and become his identity and he wouldn't really be happy until he was rid of this disease. Um, however, after our conversation, I, I definitely can see that he certainly accepted where he's at now. Um, and he can even see the good side and where it's at. Um, and that's that's really difficult to do. Anybody that is going through something like that, um, I can only imagine how hard it is to comes to the point where you can actually accept that accept where you're at accept that it may not change uh but be at peace at that be at peace within yourself uh be at peace with your god regarding that situation and i certainly admire him for that
thank you to my dad for taking time out of his retired schedule to join me for the podcast. And most importantly, thank you for taking the time out to listen. Um, I promise you give it a few episodes and I promise you that it will definitely continue to get better. Uh, Until the next time. Thanks.